From the Freudian conception of psychic bisexuality to the current approaches of transgenderism, the question of gender has knocked at the door of psychoanalysis to account for its articulation in the social context of its time. The different ways that people position themselves in life confronts us with the challenge of thinking psychoanalytically about gender today. Thus, this episode is entitled Why and what is gender for? Juan Francisco Artaloidia takes up this question. He talks about how and why gender emerged in the history of language and the species, and to what extent gender is still as important as it was in its origins. Juan Francisco Artaloidia holds a PhD, is a medical doctor, a psychiatrist and training psychoanalyst of the Psychoanalytic Association of Madrid. He has been secretary and editor-in-chief of the Journal of Psychoanalysis of the APM. He is currently representative for Europe on the board of the International Psychoanalytic Association. He has published articles and given lectures in national and international media. Freudian metapsychology is his field of reference, and topics of his special interest are psychosis, psychoanalytic training, and issues such as homosexuality and transsexuality. He has just published the book Una Metapsicología Freudiana para el Siglo XXI, a Freudian metapsychology for the 21st century, which is a recapitulation of his work over the last 15 years. I am Ana Martín Solar with Talks on Psychoanalysis, the APA podcast devoted to spreading topics published in the International Psychoanalytic Association journals and Congress presentations carrying the original voices of the authors. This podcast, published by the International Psychoanalytic Association, are part of the activities of the APA Communication Committee and are produced by the podcast editorial team. The team coordinator is Gaetano Pellegrini and the editing and post-production is carried out by Massimiliano Guerrieri. To obtain more information about the work as well as that of the author, you can visit the writing text of this episode where you will also find the link to download the article. To stay informed about the latest podcast releases, please sign up today. I am Juan Francisco Artaloitia, MD and PhD, psychiatrist and training psychoanalyst of the Association Psychoanalytica de Madrid. And I would like to thank Ana Maria Martín Solar and Gaetano Perugrini for inviting me to present this podcast. The title of my talk is Why and What is Gender for? Based on a presentation for the APDEBA Symposium in October, 2022. If you want more details, you can consult the written document on which is based and which uh, you will be able to access through a link. To introduce the question, I will raise three fundamental ideas. First, 
In Freud and Metapsychology, there is a keystone related to the contact between the heard word and the visual image of the thing. Following Chapter 7 of The Unconscious, complemented by Strake's excellent Appendix C, which remains as the essential concept of the Freudian text on Ephesians, we can affirm that the essence of repression lies in the encounter between the heard word and the visual image of the thing. Let us take the reference of the daily scene in which a human infant pointing to the image of its mother is told for the first time, Mama. A question that we will see is intimately linked to the establishment of repression. Second, Freudian thought has a marked evolutionary character. Freud liked to quote Haeckel in his assertion that Ontogenesis recapitulates a phylogenesis. That is, in his development, the individual would be recapitulating in part the history of the species. In Totem and Taboo, Freud goes in search of the history of the species for the appearance of the repression that he had discovered in the history of the individual. Thus, we take up that daily scene of connection between the image of the mother and the word mother and suggest that it would be somehow recalling the first time that something like this occurred in the history of the species. Third, sex is a binary biological variable already determined both in our species and in the rest of the sexed species. Gender, however, is exclusive to Homo sapiens, coming from the Latin genus, referring to the grammatical gender, and is related to the need to classify when nominating, a necessary step to be able to represent oneself and others. When words appeared for the first time in the history of the species, The need to distinguish between men and women when nominating was imposed. I conclude this introduction by asking the following question. Why did the appearance of the herd world in the history of our species, a key factor in the establishment of repression, require the distinction between women and men? I move on to a first section in which I plunge into the dawn of mankind. There are hunter-gatherer groups from around 70,000 to 40,000 years ago. Probably by tens, as things tend to happen in evolution, someone arbitrarily used a combination of phonemes pointing to something. The word and the image of the thing were connected for the first time, which was proposed to others and accepted by them. From then on, it was enough to evoke the word to elicit the image without the thing necessarily being in front of it. This must have been the object of cultural selection. It was probably soon extended to multiple other arbitrary connections, among them the nomination of the closest persons. I evoke a scene in which we have an infant of about two years old. In front, his or her mother breastfeeding the newborn. Next to her, to, to, her, to the mother, the father. 
Each one is nominated. Mommy, daddy, baby, you older, no longer baby. The baby or the father has access to the mother's breast. You who are older do not. You have to renounce the intimate contact with mom's body, already defined as an incestuous, and you have to renounce your desire to eliminate the baby or dad who do have access to it. That is to say, if you want us to love you, to not punish you, you have to renounce to the incestuous and parricidal. You have to repress it. That is to say, nominating the different protagonists of the Deepal Triangle allows the organization of what is possible and what is not, the carving of incestuous and parricidal drives and the establishment of repression. We can conclude this first section by affirming that at the dawn of humanity, the gender distinction in the protagonist of the Deepal Triangle was fundamental in the introduction of repression, which was probably also object of cultural selection. Before jumping to the present and the times to come, we pause briefly to specify a series of cultural advances of transcendence for the subject at hand, since they relegate the sexual dimorphism of our species to an increasingly less transcendent issue. The Industrial Revolution in the 19th century, which makes the difference by dimorphism in Um, in uh, muscle size, strength and speed less and less important since it is machines that provide strength, speed and repetition capacity. The, the contraceptive revolution of the mid-20th century which allows genital sexuality without the need for procreation. The reproductive revolution of the late 20th century, which allows reproduction without a need for sexual intercourse. And other revolutionary changes that I believe are just around the corner, such as the gamete revolution, which will allow sperm and oocytes to be obtained from bone marrow stem cells and the artificial womb revolution, which will allow gestations outside a woman's body. We must be able to think about what is specifically human and what are the ethical margins within which we can move without losing our human essence. I enter here into a section already on current times and in the reflection of what the concept of gender is for today in comparison with the transcendence it had in the origins of humanity. The maternal function. Is a biological mother better prepared to raise her baby? It seems obvious that the possibility of natural breastfeeding The adjustment of circadian rhythm according to hormonal states, the regulatory effects of oxytocin during breastfeeding, having been able to prepare mentally during the months of pregnancy. All those factors make things easier. But we all know of birth mothers who have not been able to exercise their maternal function or who have done so in a neg negligent manner. We also know of many adoptive mothers 
who also generally have the time to prepare themselves mentally, are able to exercise a maternal function appropriately. It is more difficult for women who suddenly have to take care of a baby without having been able to prepare themselves mentally for it. But what about men? Can men perform a maternal function? Is there a sexual dimorphism disadvantage for this? When maternal mortality during childbirth was high, it was not uncommon for widowed men to have to raise their children. After, they were supported by other women, but sometimes not. And today, there are more and more families in which she is the wealthier part in terms of work and economics, and he is the one who assumes greater responsibility in raising children or families with a divorced and shared custody, or homosexual families of men. These are situations in which we increasingly find men playing a leading role in the performance of the maternal role with their children. We are psychoanalysts. We will probably agree that it was Klein who put the focus on what happens between the baby and the mother. But neither will there be much disagreement that it was Winnicott who took as the importance of being able to assume a more maternal position as analysts, tolerating important degrees of regression in our patients. And it is here that our psychic bisexuality and the capacity to be able to integrate masculine and feminine identifications becomes very important. And in performance of a maternal function, it is undoubtedly essential to have good identification figures. The paternal function and the primary sin. First, I want to distinguish clearly the fantasy about the origins, which refers to how one was conceived under primary sin, which is the exclusion that the infant experiences when he or she left out of the relationship between his her father and mother. It is this second one that is essential for the establishment of repression. I remember the scene described above, fa face to the breast and the new baby. The infant has to renounce being in bodily intimacy with his mother and has to renounce the desire to eliminate, to eliminate his rival. Although historically the two often coincided, for example, the scene in which one was conceived coincided with the exclusion one suffered afterwards, it is, this is less and less the case. For example, the mother is widowed during pregnancy and takes up with another man. In the origins would be the mother and the biological father. In the primary scene that the infant later experiences would be the mother and her new partner. Can this man, who is not the biological father, exercise a paternal function in the sense of trying to help the infant to assume this exclusion in a structuring way? It seems obvious that he can. But if it were a woman, that is to say, what if the mother's new partner is a woman? Of course it can. I even have a published case, that of a woman violinist who raises her baby alone, but who from time to time needs to exclude him in order to play the violin, 
an activity strongly invested by sublimatory channels in relation to a very atypical history of the mother. This baby, now an adult, is a violinist in an important orchestra. He is also heterosexual and a father with a good integration of maternal and paternal functions. However, the that element of exclusion from the primary scene can also become a source of identification, as we can suspect in the story of the violinist. What happens with that so that mom is smiling after being alone with him? Will I be able to look like him so that mom smiles this way too? Obviously, it is not the same whether we are dealing here with a man or a woman, although both can have masculine and feminine identifications. In my experience, what is really important in homosexual couples as well as in single-parent families is that there are male and female reference figures in the environment who can become stable and valued source of identification. Conclusion The difference between being a woman and a man was determinant in the origins of our species, to the point that the emerging language had to include gender, that is, the ability to distinguish between the two when nominating. This was not only a basis for establishing the ways of representing oneself and others that characterize us, but it was also the door to the Oedipal order and establishment of repression as a more sophisticated mode of organization. Psychic bisexuality and the capacity of women and men to have access to quality masculine and feminine identifications increasingly allow women and men to fulfill maternal and paternal function despite the obvious limitations always imposed by the biological body. The possibility of continuing to be able to establish Quality repression is possibly more conditioned by the fact that there are people in the environment with good identifications along the lines described that by the suitability of their biological bodies. With all this, I believe I can affirm that gender, so determinant in our origins as species, is less transcendent today than it was then and that it will possibly lose even more weight as events unfold. Let us allow ourselves to think about it and try to understand it in order to continue helping those who consult us that everyone can freely find their own way of locating themselves in life. Thank you very much.